Thank you, Brad. It's a privilege to share with you today, uh, and we're going to be in the book of James, chapter 5. So if you've got your Bibles there, in whatever form you have them, uh, turn with me to James, chapter 5. And we're starting at verse 13, so right at the end of the book of James. We're talking about prayer today, and before, before I read the whole passage in context, I want to highlight just one verse, and it's not even a verse, it's actually one sentence in a verse that's the main idea of today, and that is in verse 16. The passage is encouraging believers to pray, and verse 16, the second sentence of verse 16 says... The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. It's the main idea of the message. It's one of the main ideas in that passage. It seems to be the reason that James is encouraging believers to pray. Pray because the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. But before we go on, I'll read, I'll read from verse 13 in James chapter 5. Is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Elijah was a human being, even as we are. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. I want to narrow our focus even more. And there's a lot to unpack in here, but for reasons of time and my own limitations, I won't be able to get to it all, though perhaps with things that have happened, it feels like maybe I should have prepared a different sermon. Um, I'm actually not going to be focusing on healing. Uh, There's definitely a connection between faith, prayer and healing, and that's a topic of continued study uh, and prayer for, for us and for me personally, but... Apart from saying what James says, yes, we should pray for healing. Yes, God can and does heal. And yes, all healing comes from God. Um, I actually want to talk about prayer a bit more. The problem is that we know from firsthand experience, or if not, then from the account of the Apostle Paul talking about his thorn in the flesh, that though God can and does heal, not every prayer for healing is answered. So do we have a problem here then? Is James wrong? Or are we not praying properly? So I want to answer some of those questions. I don't think that James is wrong. And I don't think that we're praying wrongly if our prayer follows the the teaching of the Lord Jesus on prayer. So what I want to do in the next 10 or so minutes is to answer some of these questions that, that verse 16 raises. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. 
There's three questions. First, who is the righteous person? Second, what is the righteous person's prayer? And three, in what sense is the prayer of a righteous person powerful and effective? First question, if the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective, then who is the righteous person? Well, in that passage, in the very next verse, James starts to talk about Elijah. So he's giving us a clue there about who the righteous person is, what that person looks like. Elijah was a human being, even as we are. That should come as a shock. James is writing to an audience of Christians, but most of them, it seems, from his address at the beginning, most of them were Jewish, and they all would have understood who Elijah was. And he was this towering figure in the Old Testament. He appears about 800 years before Christ, and he appears right at the point where the kings of Israel and Judah are at their very worst, and his, his career, his prophetic career, is, revolves around telling people to turn back to God. So Elijah, for the people James is writing to, would have been one of these people that we might call heroes of the faith. But even that phrase, heroes of the faith or, or great, great men of the faith, that phrase gets the emphasis wrong, doesn't it? Um, Elijah did do great things. He did have a unique historical role in calling Israel back to God, and that's recorded in uh, 1 Kings chapter 17 and following, but we don't have time to go there today. We might have used that phrase or, or sort of heard people use that phrase about people closer to us in our own tradition, maybe Martin Luther, the sort of, who spearheaded the Protestant Reformation in Europe, um, William Tyndale, first translator of the English Bible, even people closer in time to us like Billy Graham or somebody like that. But James introduces this, this enormous figure, Elijah, and he says, Elijah's a human being like us. And that's true. Elijah was, was, was a man. He was not God. Yet he was a righteous man. So what was his righteousness? Well, his righteousness consisted in his faithful dependence on God. We're told in 1 Kings 17, the first time Elijah appears in the Bible, that the word of the Lord came to Elijah, and Elijah responded in obedience. There's going to be a drought in Israel, and Elijah was told that, that God would provide for him, and Elijah trusted God. And before each of his miracles, and this is a footnote, but it's an interesting one, um, before each of Elijah's miracles, they look very different from Jesus' miracles because Jesus just acts on his own authority or speaks on his own authority. Elijah, before each of his miracles, prays. So he depends utterly on the living God for the outcome. Friends, none of us has the unique role to play that Elijah did in Israel's history, but we are all called to the same kind of dependence on God as Elijah practiced, as Elijah expressed through obedience and through prayer. That is what James means by the righteous person. A second question, we've established what the righteous person looks like. So what is the prayer of the righteous person? What, what does that look like? Again, the broader context in James gives us a clue. At the beginning of verse 16, James exhorts the believers to confess their sins to each other as a habitual practice of the prayer-filled church. 
James is writing to the early church that instruction about what a church looks like, that applies to us as well. The emphasis is even clearer in a related passage. Remember at the end of Matthew 6, if you've grown up in church, you'll remember the Lord's Prayer. You probably even have it memorized. There's a warning that comes immediately after that we tend not to include as often, and that is when Jesus says, if you forgive others when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. That's a promise, but then there's a warning. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. The prayer of a righteous person, then, is characterized by repentance. Remember the parable about the tax collector and the Pharisee going up to pray and the tax collector would not even lift up his eyes to heaven but beat his breast and said, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. And we're told Jesus says that was the one, he was the one who went home justified before God. Prayer is a gift from God and as such, the prayer of a righteous person follows the pattern that God's given us. Prayer of a righteous person acknowledges and turns away from the sin that even as believers still entangles us, still can entangle us. When we confess our sins, we enter into a fuller understanding of the grace, of the forgiveness of God. And our desire to please him grows. And the environment in which that happens, James is saying, is is the community of gathered believers, is the church. The Christian view of forgiveness then is that we act out what God has done for us to each other. We imitate the forgiveness that God has freely made available in Christ whenever we need forgiveness or whenever we have been wronged and somebody seeks forgiveness. The prayer of a righteous person, therefore, is prayer that's characterised by repentance uh, and, and seeking forgiveness to God and is also displayed outwardly in seeking forgiveness and offering forgiveness to others. Just as God in Christ has forgiven us. The third and final question is how Or in what sense is the prayer of a righteous person powerful and effective? Verse 15 says that the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. And we should clarify what faith means. Faith is not magic. Faith is not a kind of spiritual superpower. It's not like the force in Star Wars. Faith where Jesus accuses his disciples a couple of times of having little faith. Um, but what's, what's clear is that the most important aspect of faith is not sort of how much we have, it's who is the faith placed in, it's who's the object of that faith. Faith is the personal trust that God keeps his promises. Faith is the belief that, as the Apostle Peter puts it, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, in his great mercy, has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Faith has everything to do with the identity and character of the one who is trusted, of the one who is believed in, 
not of the one expressing that trust, expressing that belief. As James famously reminds us, though, uh, faith without works is dead. I wouldn't go to this passage necessarily with a brand new believer, but we are the gathered body of Christ. We are seeking to be transformed by his word and by his Holy Spirit, and we believe that's happening. Um, And so we do want to do good works. We do want to be empowered by his Holy Spirit to do those good works and to change in our actions. God, in his Holy Spirit, has not abandoned us, but he's continually active and working to make us more like Christ in our actions. Faith is lived out in the daily actions of the believer. And prayer is one of those actions. If you read through the Lord's Prayer, one of the things that we're being taught to do is to declare who God is. So, for example, in declaring him to be Father, we enter into, we participate in an intimate relationship with God. Remember, that was unprecedented in Israel's history right up until Jesus. So that's a great privilege. In declaring that his name is holy, it's in the the very same sentence, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. We hold those in tension. In declaring that his name is holy, we recognise his purity, his goodness, his set-apartness. In praying for his kingdom to come, we submit to his sovereign rule over our lives. The prayer of faith is not a secret, super-spiritual prayer. The prayer of faith is made up of simple phrases, uh, like those which Jesus taught us to use, but they're simple phrases that articulate the truth of who God is, the character of God. Our passage in James today instructs the believer to pray whether they're in trouble, whether they're happy, or whether they're sick. And that about captures the extremes of human experience. And if you're interested in some more of the shades of grey in between, then uh, let me recommend the book of Psalms to you. Prayer is a gift more than it is a duty because in declaring who God is, regardless of our outward circumstances, happiness, misery, anything in between, um, we, beg your pardon, regardless of our outward circumstances, we express a trust that God is sovereign over us and over our world, over even our circumstances, whatever they are. The Apostle Paul writes that God has placed all things under the rule of the risen Christ. And we believe that. Even though we can't see that, we believe that. And prayer is one of the ways that we live that out. Prayer is the means by which we live as if we see the Lordship of Christ, which we will all see one day. But prayer is the means that we act as if we see it right now. So in what sense is the prayer of a righteous person powerful and effective? Well, it's not a guarantee to change our outward circumstances. But prayer, the prayer of a righteous person, is powerful and effective because prayer changes us. Friends, there's still so much in the book of James and about prayer to learn. And I'm preaching this morning as much to myself as I am to anybody else. 
I hope that you don't feel, reading James and listening to me, I hope that you don't feel pestered for some sort of superficial behaviour change. Um, There's plenty of that in James. There's plenty of instruction and it's good and it's true, but it has the gospel of Jesus Christ. It has grace as its foundation. And we had Easter Sunday just last week. And so everything that we do, all the implications of that, that we talk about and that we, that we practice as Christians, it all stems from that. We do strive to be like Elijah in our dependence on God. We are reminded to repent of sin in prayer and to seek forgiveness and show forgiveness uh, in our church. But above all, as those who pray in faith in the name of Jesus Christ, we are simply receiving a gift. And may we receive that gift with joy. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for the privilege that it is to come before you in prayer. We recognise that this is not something that is cheap. This is a costly privilege and it's blood bought by the blood of our Saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ. We acknowledge that you are our King and that you are coming back. You have a kingdom. We will see it one day and we pray for your grace and your Holy Spirit to equip and to fill us as we live that out in some small measure right now. We ask that we would be people of forgiveness to one another, that our church would be, in some small way, a little uh, picture of the grace that you in Christ have poured out to us, that we may be brought into nearness with God, into intimacy with him. In Jesus' name, amen.